I can't, you know, say enough about you know, the effort that our players get. We've overcome a lot this year, down but not out, and we found a way to play our best the last four games. And it wasn't always perfect, but guys made enough plays, and then I think really the overtime period personifies what this team's really all about. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Rounds Recap, and today I'm joined by Jeff Reinbold. Jeff is a Canadian football coach who is the special teams coach for the Hamilton Tiger Cats of the Canadian Football League, and is also a frequent analyst on Sky Sports NFL. Jeff, thanks a million for coming on the show, and how are things with you? Good, Richie. It's a pleasure to be on the show, and I'm anxious to talk a little ball with you here this morning. <laughs> yeah, certainly. So, to get straight to us, last week there was a lot of drama. It was pretty much the weekend of the underdogs. And what did you make? What stood out most about the Patriots win and the Rams win last weekend? Well, I think there were two things going into the games that I wondered about. Whether, first of all, the the Patriots would be able to dominate on the offensive line and defensive line like they did against the Chargers the week before at home. You know, I didn't question whether Brady would be able to complete passes in the cold or you know, whether Edelman would be productive. It was really about whether they were going to be able to maintain that dominance up front. And I'm going to tell you something, Richie, Dante Scarnecchia, who nobody talks about, he's the offensive line coach in New England, really deserves a tremendous amount of credit because when you look at that, and it's just like the rest of the Patriots, when you look at their offensive line, Shaq Mason's probably the only – you know, elite talent guy they have. The rest of them are all tough, hard-nosed, smart, good football players, but not guys that you would trade for if you were going out to start a team. Mm. And they play together so well. Just that's a microcosm of the Patriots. I mean, they just are better than, you know, the sum is much better than the parts. And I thought they did an amazing job. Brady never got hit. He never hardly got knocked down. And again, another outstanding game of running the football which you have to do in the playoffs so that that aspect that was the one I was concerned about going in if you're looking at the Patriots and then and they handled it extremely well the other part was the noise in the in the Superdome whether the Rams with a you know third-year quarterback would be able to communicate as well as they need to and their offense is based upon communication not only from the sideline on the headset to the to the quarterback the quarterback communicating everything to the offensive lineman, receiver, running back, because they do an awful lot of check with me at the line of scrimmage. So they, again, handled it about as well as you can handle it. They struggled early, which most teams do when they get into that environment, and then they you know, kind of got their legs up underneath them. And, and uh, I thought, I thought uh, that uh, they played extremely well in the second half, which, which is when you really need to play well in those kind of games. Mm. And sticking on the Rams and the Saints, Saints were not overwhelming favourites, but they were clear favourites for that game and for the Super Bowl itself. And unfortunately, the game is pretty much going to be remembered about that pass interference call or the one that wasn't called, I should say. Like, what did you make of that whole situation and how the NFL and how Peyton um, reacted to that? Well, I, I, t- I tell you, it was tough. I mean, uh, that's, that's the easiest easiest way I can describe it, probably the yeah. cleanest way I can describe it, because, you know, I felt for Sean. Sean, you know, uh, he got a chance to go back 
maybe a Super Bowl favorite. I really believe that had they gotten to the Super Bowl, that they probably would have won the thing. But, you know, an official or an officiating mistake clearly costs you a game. Now, you can, you can, you know, say, and he did. I thought he handled himself extremely well because he's got to be really careful about what he says because uh, the NFL is very, very particular about criticizing officials. But, you know, that, that all they had to do, if they make that call, and they not only missed the call, they missed it twice. They missed it as a head-to-head contact, and they also missed it as a, as a DPI, defensive pass interference. So mm. they missed it twice on the same call. All they would have had to done is take a knee twice and kick the, kick the field goal with under 20 seconds left to go, and the Rams are done. And so, you know, you look at the Saints have gone out of the tournament with good football teams the last two years on freaky plays. You know, the Minnesota Miracle last year, and then the fact that the officials all froze on a on a what should have been an easy call on the sidelines. Yeah. No, you could definitely feel for Sean Payton because pretty much looking even a quick glance at social media or even post-game, you're expecting him to explode like a grenade and perhaps, as you said, get, get that uh, must... Uh, much uh, anticipated fine but to be fair he actually stayed composed and it was kind of good to see that he didn't lose his cool and, but as you said it was obviously yeah. a devastating decision and lastly on just last weekend like before the Chargers game there was a sense anyway from what I read or social media or even if you look at uh, the bookies and the odds like why did nobody fancy the Patriots up until pretty much the Chargers game as Yes, I do know they had a up and down season. They kind of lost a bit of form in the new year, but like surely you can't write off the Brady and Bill combination at this stage. Well, I would never write them off. As a matter of fact, in the Charger game, I picked the Patriots, but I picked the Chiefs in the in you know in the last weekend's game in the championship round, and as much as anything else, because of the fact that Chiefs had played so much better on defense at home. I mean, they gave up 18 fewer points per game at home than they did on the road. And, you know, the Arrowhead's a tough environment to play in. I mean, and there's probably the loudest outdoor stadium in the league, that and Seattle. So, you know, when you looked at those factors, and, and really, Richie, I mean, let's be honest about it. I, I mean, I'm a big, big fan of, Bill Belichick. I think that his coaching staff does the best job, without a doubt, of getting players to play inside the system, to get them to understand what complementary football is, to win as a team. Because if you just went across the board, and I mean, we can do it right now, would you take uh, Tyreek Hill or would you take Julian Edelman? Would you take Patrick Mahomes or would you take Tom Brady? Based on Mahomes who 50 touchdown passes that's only been done one other time yeah, in history really of the superb season. you know you, you got Travis Kelsey who's at the peak of his career against an aging Gronkowski who you know it, it's it's painful just to watch him run right you got <laughs> Sammy Watkins or Chris Hogan I mean you would not take any of those guys probably and so when you look at the teams you say well they are just so much more talented across the board than the Patriots are but that's proof positive that coaching and playing as a team, understanding how to win games as a team, you don't see Patriot players line up offsides in critical downs. You know? And again, the Patriots got helped by a phantom call in the game. 
and it shouldn't have been called, and it was called. And, you know, just like the, the one in, you know, everybody talking about the one in New Orleans, if, if I'm Kansas City, I'm, I'm really upset about the, the roughing the passer call that wasn't roughing the passer. Yeah, I remember that. And, and let me say this, Richie, both of those calls are reviewable in the Canadian Football League. And I think that's where the NFL has to go because the game should be made clean for the players, for the coaches, for the fans. And, you know, it's so fast now. It's almost unfair to the officials because these guys are so big and so fast. This is not 1958. I mean, this is, these guys are incredibly, in, I mean, imposing athletes. And the, and the game is so fast now. So to ask the naked eye to, to do this and you know human human error should be taken out of the game in terms of the officiating as much as we can yeah no I agree and like you look at even say soccer even recently Hawkeye and tennis they've really stepped up in that regard like just the fact that such a big game or even any game even a regular season that could dictate your spot in the playoffs could be decided as you said on human error in a sport especially a top quality elite sport is it just shouldn't happen, and as I said, we're not we're not in 1958 anymore. It's now 2019. We need to make sure that we use the technology that's available to us. But I agree with you. And, here, and here's the thing, Richie: if it's if it's human error by a player, or if it's human error by a coach, that's one thing. But when it's human error by an official, that's preventable, and we need to do everything we can to prevent it. No, I totally agree. So with with those two games. Uh, done and dusted the preview must be now taken towards the Super Bowl in just under two weeks like the big kind of narrative is obviously people are getting bogged down with it's the biggest gap between the two starting quarterbacks with regards to age you've got Goff who's 24 and Brady's 41 and then you look at the head coaches between Belichick and McVay McVay's 32 Belichick 66 it's the largest in Super Bowl history but on the actual pitch You've got the likes of Aaron Donald, who's going to be doing all they possibly can to not give Brady that kind of comfort zone in the pocket and try force him out. Because traditionally this season, anyway, Tom Brady has seemed to struggle when he's been forced out of that pocket. So do you feel like that's one of the key areas in which the Rams need to try upset the flow of the Patriots? No question. Uh, and you know, the the thing that you can do to the Patriots that has been proven that the number one thing you've got to be able to do to affect Tom Brady is you have to get vertical pressure on him. Pressure on the edges, and we saw this with the Chargers. I mean, they've got Ingram and Bosa off the edge, and those guys never even touched him, mm-hmm. never got close to him. Well, because he skates up in the pocket so well. He understands how to move in the pocket. And the teams that have caused him problems historically have teams that have gotten vertical pressure, pressure over the guards, and that means Ndamukong Sue and Aaron Donald. And the Patriots are going to have their hands full because they're going to have to do some things from a protection standpoint to slide the center to Donald. Donald needs the double team all the time. Yeah. I really think what you'll see is a lot of Wade Phillips playing man-to-man in the secondary, pressing those receivers all over the field, making it hard for him, not letting Brady, because Brady, if he plays only against Brady, he'll kill you. Kill yeah. you. But if you make, you know, Dorsett and and Hogan and Edelman beat man to man, press man to man all day, you got a great chance. 
Now, what I think they'll do is they'll get into what we call a bare front where they cover the center so you can't slide and help. And then they're going to, that, that ensures Donald and Sue have one-on-ones. And I think that's, that's going to be the key as we go forward. I'm actually looking forward to sitting with Wade and talking football when we get to the Super Bowl. Yeah. And with regards to the coaches, would you rather be in a position, so say put yourself in the player's shoes, would you rather have the experience of Belichick in this situation or the youth, the drive, the hunger of Sean McVay? Well, that's a great question because they both bring a little something to the yeah. table. You know, Belichick, obviously, I think I, I think they have a psychological advantage over people when they play because I think the players tend to look on the other sideline and go, oh, my God, that's number 12. And, oh, my God, that's the guy in the hoodie. Right? Yeah. So they've got him they've got a mystique about them that is really, really, I think, kind of a little bit like what maybe happened with Man U back in the day when Sir Alex Ferguson was there. Yeah, I mean, definitely. you just kind of looked across the pitch and it was like, oh my God, that's 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 Beckham and Rooney and oh, oh my God, that's, <laughs> that's Sir Alex Ferguson. I think that happens a little bit for the Patriots. I think on the other side, man, I, I think the players on the Rams. And it was interesting because I spent some time with the Rams last year when they were here. It's kind of a neat vibe they have right there. They, they got some older guys, Whitworth and Sullivan and Saffold and all those guys on the offensive line. And, and then they got some young guys and they really seem to have a really good team chemistry. And I think that's going to be important during the course of the week. Definitely. And the last thing I want to touch on is they they met early in the year and the Patriots ran out 26 10 winners and that was the Patriots at home is there any point for anyone to consider that when looking forward to the Super Bowl like will that give Patriots a mental edge at all or is this simply a one-off game too much water's gone know, under the bridge I think these are all one-off games and the preparation see I think where they were where New England has a real advantage is nobody, nobody prepares better than they do. Nobody scouts better than they do. Nobody breaks the game down better than they do. When you look at what the Patriots have done in the last two weeks, how they attacked the the Chargers, I keep calling them San Diego, but (laughs) (laughs) how they attacked the Chargers, they had a week off to prepare. And you, the rush plan that they put together against Phillip Rivers was genius. I looked at the first 15 plays of their offense, that first drive they had on offense, Richie. They, mm. in 15 plays, they were in six different personnel groups. They had 13 different kinds of motion, right? And the only two plays that didn't have motion in it were, were bizarre formations. There were things that they did that, that just so totally confused the Chargers. So I think, that, you know... I have picked the Rams to win it, but every day I think I'm starting to second guess myself more and more. So by Wednesday, I'll probably have the Patriots. But but I just think it's going to be a great, great football game. And I'm I'm just going to put you on the spot before we go. I know you've just said you think it's the Rams. If if the Rams are going to win it, how do you see them winning it? If that makes sense, like what well, do they have to do to win? Uh, uh, Here's what I think has to happen. As we talked about, you know, they've got to be uh, they've got to be impactful with their rush plan on defense. Now, what scares me about the Rams is I watch 
Peters, for example, and every week he gives up a big play because he guesses and he, you know, and all. Now, Tlaib, I think, will handle whoever they put on. I, if I was, if I was Wade, I would put uh, Peters on Dorsett, and I would put uh, Tlaib on Edelman, and then just you know play your nickel back on on Hogan. And I think if they do that, they're going to cause a lot of problems for for the Patriots because Ed, you know Edelman and, and Tlaib is a great matchup, and you know so. I just, I really think that they've got to play extremely smart on defense. They can't take penalties. Now, they had four penalties in the kicking game last week. They can't beat the Patriots that way because the Patriots aren't going to make penalties. They're not going to take penalties. They're not going to beat themselves. Mm-hmm. That's what's so amazing about the Patriots. They're like a boa constrictor. They <laughs> get around you, and then they just keep squeezing and keep squeezing, and the pressure keeps getting bigger, and eventually your eyeballs pop out of your head. You know, and. and <laughs> That's just the way they beat you. But right now, I'm picking the Rams. I'm saying it's 28-24, and I think that Goff and that that offense can have their way in a lot of in a lot of cases with the Patriots if they can protect the passer. That's what it's going to come down to. Okay, so there's our prediction from Jeff. 28-24, did you say? Yeah. Yeah. So there it is. So we shall see shortly. So. To push away from the Super Bowl and what obviously happened last weekend, there's a few other questions I'd like to get through. And one of them is that we're seeing a lot more high passing offenses in the NFL these days. That seems to be a bit more on the up from a trend point of view. And like in your opinion, what do you think is the best way for defenses to counteract this? Well, I think in every case, um, it comes down to can you hold up in the secondary? Like, for example, you look at the Patriots, which if you look at their front, their front is very average. I mean, very, very average. They manufacture pressure. They don't very much win one-on-one pass rush. But they're good enough in the secondary to play man-to-man. And if you can play man-to-man, you got a great chance. But if you rely on playing straight zone, with the way the rules are now, you got no, you got no chance with these quarterbacks because you can't hit the receivers past five yards. You know, you can't hit the quarterbacks. I mean, it's just everything is built now for the offense. So if you don't have the ability to just take four defensive backs and lock them down on four receivers and bring extra pressure, you're never going to get to the quarterback. Because think about this. You know, offensive line coaches now have figured out that with if you use the back to chip, you can get double teams on two of the rushers. That means only two of your rushers have one-on-ones. And, you know, if, if you're playing in zone, that means he's going to get the ball out of it because there's seams in the zone. He's going to get the ball out of his hand faster, even if it's just a throw a check down. Well, we've seen, that, we've seen in, in the NFL now that they look at the check down as a running play. You know, the, the flare controls as a running play. So they'll just dump it off the back. He'll gain five yards and you say, that's, you know, that's a good play. So you got to have the ability to play man to man. I think that's really, really critical. Hmm. I definitely agree. Which is, that. Which is interesting. It's, it's interesting, Richie, because, you know, it's gone full circle. You know, Al Davis, the late great Al Davis, who was the owner and, and president and general manager and head coach, everything with the Raiders, used to believe that defenses were built from the back forward. And then Tony Dungy and the Tampa 2 school 
kind of came into vogue and defenses were built from the front back where you had four great pass rushers. You just ran them up the field, sapping all those guys would just attack the line of scrimmage and you played zone in the back end. You didn't give up plays and you made people work, you know, to get down the field. Well, now it's changed back the other way. Now it's about, you got to be able to lock up in man to man like Al Davis wanted. That's why he went out and drafted, you know, corners all the time or guys that could run and play man to man, you know, that, that Lester Hayes, and, you know, Willie Brown and on and on and on and on and on. And it's kind of come back full cycle. Mm, no, that's a fair point. So like, would it be fair to say that, like your fellow, your co-worker, Sean Gale, he keeps banging on about defense wins championships. As you said, with how the rules are now and how they're set, is it now pretty much whoever's got the best offense is the best chance of winning Super Bowl at the end of the day? I always tease Sean because he and I, he and, I <laughs> and I and I love him, but he, I, I ask him, I say, what do you mean defense wins championships? If you don't score on offense, you can't win. <laughs> or at least take a field goal. <laughs> But, you know, he, he's, he's a prideful defensive guy and should be because he was part of that 85 Bears team and, and all that. But, you know, the game's different now. It is different now. I tell you what, when this all started, this is really great stuff to talk about because you, you've gotten into an area, Richie, that very few people want to talk about. But yeah. go back to the first time the Patriots and the Rams met in the Super Bowl. And it was Belichick came up with a plan against the greatest show on turf that changed defense and they hit those receivers every down and and that was back when you could hit them past five yards right yeah so they just they went after them and i mean just beat them up and there was no free access there was nobody getting to the second level runs you know like you know david bruce and tory holt and you know those guys they were frustrated the whole day and 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 Kurt Warner had to hold the ball, and all of a sudden he's getting hit now because he's taking a seven-step drop and can't find a free guy, and, you know, they're not letting the back out. And, well, the NFL saw that and said, uh-oh, this ain't good. This is not what, this is not going to sell tickets, and this is not going to get sponsorship, and this is not, you know, the reason they want the score, the reason they want scoring is it's, it, you know, draws fans to the game and draws, you know, sponsors and all that other stuff. So, you know, I I think that that's when they started to make all these rules, implement all these rules, protect the quarterback and protect the offense, and the scores have changed. And now you have to be able to get a few stops on defense and get turnovers as opposed to when Sean was playing where you just dominate. I mean, they were so good. You look at the stat lines from when, when he was with the Bears. I mean, gosh almighty, it's amazing. Hmm. And you kind of said it there about, with regards to – the offense, you know, nice, pleasing football creates crowds, and that kind of slightly leads me on to my next point. You, you kind of said it there earlier with regards to the Chargers and mistakenly calling them San Diego Chargers, but like the NFL seems to be one of the few sports where pretty much a team or a franchise can play in one city, only to find it playing in a different city the following year. So, could there potentially ever be a time where teams simply move at will in search of more money and hopefully more success thus disregarding any long-term ambition that franchise may have and with that leave behind a legacy along with local fans like do you feel it's it's for the best or do you strongly disagree with it 
Well, I think, you know, the Rams are a perfect example. I mean, they've been in L.A. twice. They've been in St. Louis. You've got the Cardinals who've been in Chicago and St. Louis and Phoenix. Um, the Raiders have been in Oakland, L.A., back to Oakland, now going to Las Vegas. I, I, so I think it really is a, re- it's a reality in the game. I, I don't see a team changing every year, but I could see a team, you know, moving, you know, every 10 years. And, you know, it's tough on these cities. I mean, you, you look at the Chargers, and, and they start out in L.A. They drive, you know, they can't make a go of it in L.A., so they get lured to San Diego. They, they do well in San Diego for a while, and then finally the ownership says, we need a new stadium. We need, you know, this. We need that. We've got to be competitive. And the city says, well, the, or the people in the city say, we're not paying the taxes to give you a new stadium. And so what do they do? They pull up stakes and they head, you know, up the coast. And because, you know, a city, um, Carson is willing to, you know, build them a stadium. And so that's just the, it's the economics of the NFL. It's unlike we experience here where it's almost unheard. I think it's been, what, one premiership team has ever moved in history. And, you know, so, you know, I, I prefer it the way it is here frankly, where, you know, you're, you're born and raised a, a, a Steeler fan. Can you imagine the Steelers moving to you know, Birmingham or something? I mean, <laughs> I, I, you can't even, you can't even fathom it in the community. Right. Yeah. And I think that's tragic. I think that's because, you know, think about Oakland. Oakland came about in the sixties in the early sixties with the AFL and they grew with that team and they were loyal fans and they won a world championship, you know, early on. And, and then they, you know, they were really kind of, there was a decade, I think, where they were the winningest sports franchise in, in history, I think in the eighties. And then out of, out of greed, because the Coliseum wouldn't do some things that Mr. Davis wanted, he hijacks the team and takes it to, to LA. And, you know, there was a saga about that, too, because they actually were the place of, outside of L.A. that wanted to build them a stadium where they actually started to do it. And, he, and they gave Mr. Davis some money. And he said, nah, we're, a year later, he goes, nah, we're going to the Coliseum. So they are <laughs> <laughs> that guy on their helmet with, with the patch over his eye. Yeah. <laughs> that's a pretty good image of what that organization has been like. And now they go back. They, they go back to Oakland, and then the Coliseum. You know, again, the community in Oakland isn't willing to do the things that they want done, and so they go to greener pastures. And there's always, you know, these teams are worth so much money to a community that Vegas, you know, said, "Yeah, we'll build this stadium, and we'll give you this and both this concession and that concession," and you know, because they know in the long run it makes Las Vegas a world class city because you got an NFL team and the the revenue that that's going to generate in that city, you know, they're going to recoup their money on the stadium. No question. Yeah. Well, yeah, as you said, like it's funny you bring up the chargers. It was only, I think two and a half years ago, I was in America myself and I thought I was the bee's knees getting the San Diego chargers jumper, which is still in my wardrobe, but it's pretty much void of use now. Cause whenever I wear it, it's, it pretty much makes absolutely no sense because the thing doesn't even exist anymore. But you kind of said it there. No. Go on. Go ahead. You, you kind of said it there a bit. You were comparing it to the UK and how things are done there with, say, the football 
or even say the rugby and like what's your opinion on the draft system that you see in the NFL compared to as I said like the academies or the agencies that you see in rugby or soccer like do you think a draft system is the fairest way to go about it within the NFL or should they look to potentially change that well I think there's a couple things really that, that are at play first of all the NFL has forever had the best developmental program in the world and it doesn't cost them a penny right because college and high school football are so big in the United States that the NFL can just sit back and select, let, let high school football and, and you know, when, when the kids start in, in the academy year, 13 or 14, if he's a really good player, that's yeah. about the age you start playing football in school, right? And the schools pay for the development. They pay for the coaches, they pay for the equipment, they pay for all of it. And then the best of the high school players go on to the college system. And again, same thing. It's a huge money-making industry that prepares the player free for the NFL. Then the NFL chooses and selects the best from that system. I think the NFL needs a developmental league because the reality is, Richie, there are more guys who can play in the NFL than do play in the NFL. And I can name you... You know, the easy, the low-hanging fruit is to go to Kurt Warner and talk about him or, you know, James Harrison or any of the guys that came through NFL Europe and then went back, Jake DeLome, went back and had great careers in the National Football League. But there are a whole lot of other guys who went back and played four, five, six years in the league and were good NFL players, not superstars, but good NFL players that would have never been NFL players had they not had the opportunity to keep playing past college. So I think these new leagues that have sprung up are trying to position themselves to be NFL developmental league in the next few years because I think the, I think the league sees they need to do that, particularly because you've got to develop quarterbacks. I mean, the quarterbacks now, the way the rules are, the lifeblood of the team. If you don't have a quarterback, you don't have a chance. And so I, I think the league's got to find a way to keep – you know, you can only play one at a time, right? So that means only 32 guys are playing all year long unless you get an injury but that's not enough because you can't keep you can't keep players in the pipeline so they got to they got to find an answer for that hmm. and it's interesting that you bring up the fact that like there's so much talent and only so much get picked and there's still like thousands of players who could potentially be good enough for the NFL that never see the light of day so with that said there's as you said there's very there's a few other organizations that try create some sort of league like I even know Vince McMahon's doing what is it the XFL I think he's trying to start that up in two or three years like do you think any of them are like realistic options with regards to somewhat getting to a close enough standard that can replicate the NFL or are they always just going to be the NFL's little 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 brother well I think I don't think there's ever I think when the USFL folded and failed I think that was the last great chance to have a team, have a league as strong at, or potentially as strong as the NFL. The NFL, you got to understand, the NFL has a, has a chokehold on football. Uh, they have a, they have some legal, um, uh, I, I don't know, I don't even know how to say it, but they get some special compensation and dispensation from the government. Yeah. Uh, 
you know, uh, uh, and that's been challenged a couple times in court, you know, a monopoly kind of deal. And, you know, as a matter of fact, there's a great, when USFL folded, they, they, right before they folded, they sued the NFL and they won. And it was about the antitrust laws in the United States. And the judge awarded the, the USFL one dollar. <laughs> that's, that's how that's how it worked. And so what you see is that, you know, this is these are huge political questions. So for example, if you're Memphis or you're one of these Birmingham or one of these cities that's craving an NFL team, well, if you're a if you're a senator or a representative or, you know, you're any kind of political person, you're gonna you're gonna do everything you can to help the NFL in hopes that they will you know, look kindly upon you when it comes time for expansion. I, I, I so again, it's it's a huge. This is such a big, big deal. It's so much bigger than football. It's because this is a billion, multi, multi, multi-billion-dollar industry. And what we see and what we love is the you know the six hours on Sunday when we can watch the games and whether on TV or live. But what is behind all that is a gigantic corporation that is all about money. Yeah. <laughs> I know some people tend to forget that with sports, but ultimately it comes down to business and making profits. And as you said, it's one of the most powerful things you can imagine with regards to sports. And yeah, you know, here's, here's what's amazing about it. Like if you look at the premiership and I, and I love premiership football. As a matter of fact, my team it plays in the championship league and hopefully they'll be up in the premiership next year but who is it you know it leads fantastic and so my brother follows them as well <laughs> so you know i realize how much money that's going to mean to them to to if they can go up well in the nfl everything everything is based upon what's best for the league if you can imagine 32 of the biggest capitalists in the world work in a quasi-communist structure where money is shared, right? So if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, you get an equal share of the TV, you get an equal share of the, the uh, all the marketing, all the sponsorship, all that stuff. doesn't matter whether you're the best team in the league or the worst team in the league, you're going to get the same share. Mm-hmm. Now, conversely, the, everything is based upon trying to create parity. So you know, the New England Patriots can't spend any more money on players than the Los Angeles Chargers can or the Green Bay Packers can. Or, where in the premiership, it really comes, other than that run Leicester City had a couple of years ago, you can you can pretty much tell who the top six are going to be before the season even starts. Yeah. And if you're a fan of those other teams, you love your team, but you know it's going to take a, you know, a lightning bolt hitting for to ever have a chance to win that thing, and and I think that's that's sad because you know like I I've been to a couple Fulham games and it's obvious that that you know they're not as good as the other teams they're playing and they have no doesn't matter how, you know how good a coach they have or how good a administration they have or whatever they just don't have access to the players because they they don't can't spend the money that some of these other ones can spend. No, that is a fair point. I always thought with the NFL it was 
the quality across the board was really really good and that also makes for a much more competitive and enjoyable season so like I, I, I watch NFL because I enjoy it but every single year there's always two maybe three teams that just completely come out of nowhere that you didn't expect to feature in playoffs so that's that's definitely one of the upsides to it and the the last thing I want to talk about and this is more so a personal question I want to get through is is like I'm a big Green Bay Packers fan and I've pretty much been following them, I'd say for the last 10 years and it, it pained me to watch them this season like you looked there was a stutter in offense that one week could be incredible and the next week it was quite poor and then you had a defense that struggled at times and you had players like Clay Matthews who seemed to struggle to make the big plays like that we were all used to seeing a few years ago so like in a nutshell, what do you think went wrong with them and what do you think it will take for them to get back into Super Bowl contention because a lot of people tipped them to do well this year? I think I think it's it's what's happened in Green Bay is kind of natural. It's um you know they lost Teddy Thompson after years and years and years of the same administration. Now they had a draft and develop strategy. They you know, because it's hard to get free agents to go to Green Bay. You know, players love the mystique of Green Bay. They love, uh, you know, the opportunity to play with Aaron Rodgers. Those are some positives. But then they fly in there and they see the, the city and what that, I mean, these kids that are 24-year-old millionaires, Green Bay isn't exactly on your list of places you want to be. You, yeah. you know, you're thinking L.A., Miami, New York, you know, those kind of deals. So it's a hard for them to get free agents there. And then you also have to understand if you miss on a couple drafts, now you're really getting behind the eight ball. And then your some of your better players got older, and you moved them on. And like Tremont Williams is a, is one of my kids, and I love T to death. But his better days are, you know, he had a better time his first time around with the Packers. Well, they're relying on him to make plays now. And Tremont's at the end of his career. You know, as, as much as I love Clay Matthews, Clay Matthews is starting to get to the end of his career. And they haven't replaced those guys. They just haven't been able to find. And I feel sorry for Clay Matthews in particular because he spent a couple years of his prime playing in the wrong position because they had to have it because he was the best player they had. I mean, he should have been an outside pass rusher his whole career. Yeah. But the years he had to go inside and play inside linebacker, they did it because it was the best thing for the team, and he was unselfish enough to do it. But that really significantly hamstrung his productivity, you know. So I think they're in the they're in the process now. Gutekunst is a new GM. He's a young guy, it's a new organization. I think Mike's um, Mike McCarthy's message had gotten stale. And I think that's that's not a criticism of Mike. I think it's, just a, it's a reality. And then I don't know about the relationship and how much power. This is this is what I think happened a little bit in Pittsburgh too, Ricky. Yeah. When you have quarterbacks who make the kind of money that those guys make and have the kind of power inside the organization that they have, it's it can be it can be troublesome because you've got to always keep them happy and. You know, when they're not happy, it, it's not a not a great thing. So, you know, can they get it back? Absolutely, they can get it back. And does twelve still have a chance to take them to the Super Bowl? I believe he's got three or four more good years. But that window, that Super Bowl window, doesn't open very often. You know, you got a league, you got a division. You're in a division where the Bears are getting better, the, the Lions are 
going to get better, and Minnesota's pretty good, so it's it's a tough sled. Yeah, no, and that's a lot of people were saying like when during the season when Mike McCarthy was under a lot of um, criticism and maybe maybe rightfully so, but it was interesting to see that Rogers very rarely kind of stuck his neck out to back him, or even when they got the interim coach Joe in, he would very rarely kind of publicly back them because ultimately what Aaron Rodgers says of that club goes a very very long way as you said because he's got so much power they're paying him so much money he's got this mystique about him as you said it was I just found it quite interesting from a, a media perspective that when times were quite tough he was focusing obviously on the team but very rarely did you see him actually step out of line to you know back the coach who was uh, ultimately in charge at the time you know it was really really interesting to me was that when the new guy got hired, somebody asked him, had you, did you talk to Aaron? And he said, yes, I had a, com- I had a uh, phone conversation with Aaron, and it went really well. And about an hour later, they called me and offered me the job. <laughs> I, thought, <laughs> I thought the timing of that was pretty yeah. I ought to tell you an awful lot. Convenient. But, um, yeah, so, Jeff, that, that concludes the formal part of the podcast and i traditionally finish with a quick fire round so if it's okay i'll ask you a few quick fire questions and okay. um yeah we should fire right. through i'll them. try and keep my answers quick too <laughs> yeah sometimes people honestly take 20 minutes answering because they're kind of they make you think a little bit but as you said first thing that comes into your brain shout it out so the first question is what is the strangest thing you've seen while working with an american football team There's some of the things that I've seen that are pretty strange. I don't know if sure I can say on the podcast. You can't. No, it's 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 no holds barred here. Last week we heard about a grown man's genitals, I should say, uh, on live television. So he did what? Basically, we had a guy on, and he was saying how on live television in a rugby game, oh no, a football match. After a football match, live television caught one of the players basically swinging swinging his genitals around on live television <laughs> in the changing room <laughs> well I don't I won't go there but the strangest thing I ever I think I ever saw was we had an offensive lineman one time <laughs> and I won't use his name but he was yeah. he was a good player and I'm we're standing on the sidelines in a, in a pro game and get, getting ready for the national anthem and they, the guy next to me nudged me with, this offensive lineman to stand next to me. I, I always stood with the offensive lineman during the national anthem, mm-hmm. and he nudged me, and he, he was like, using, pointed with his eyeballs over to the other guy. And I look at the other guy, and he's got tears running down his face as they're playing the national anthem, and he's peeing in his pants. <laughs> 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 I'm like, what is this? And then, then the the other guy told me, he said he does it every game, coach. He said he can't play unless he does. <laughs> oh, yeah. No, that's that's definitely uh, one of the strangest things I've heard anyway with regards to that question. Um, next up is your favorite NFL player of all time. Um, it, it would be a guy that nobody in the world knows about. Mm. But when I was a kid, there was a guy uh, who had 
played at Middle Tennessee State as a quarterback and then got then got drafted like that was when they had like 18 rounds. I think he was an 18th round draft choice of the Baltimore Colts and they changed him to a safety and he played for the Colts, the Giants, the Steelers, the Lions. He had a good NFL career, probably nine or ten years and he was a great special team player, you know, average average safety but played the game just like you know, as as we say in coaching, sometimes like his hair was on fire. I mean, he <laughs> played hard, and I loved the way he played. And he wore number twenty five, so that's the only number I ever wore twenty five, just in honor of him. His name was Ray Oldham, and you can look it up on, uh, I guess, in in Google Facts or one of those things. And Donnie Ray Oldham from Middle Tennessee State tragically died, uh, had a heart attack in a bike race. He was a avid you know, uh, bike racer, um, uh, not motorcycles, but bicycle racing and, and uh, passed away at a heart attack during a, during a race. Wow. Jesus. It's obviously sad to, sad to hear, but interesting nonetheless. And, um, you said, said it there. So you've coached many areas in football teams, but what area do you think you are best at coaching? I think special teams, and I think that's just kind of kind of happened over time and being around some really, really special people. You know, the Dick Vermeule is probably the biggest influence, football influence in my life, and, and he was the first special teams coach in the National Football League. George Allen hired him in the 60s to be a special teams coach when there was no such thing as a special teams coach for the Los Angeles Rams. And so he was a huge influence in my career. And then a guy who worked for him both in both in uh, St. Louis and Kansas City, a guy named Frank Gans, uh, who also worked for Coach in Philadelphia, I guess he was living three different places, was a huge influence in my career. He was a, shared an office or was, a, I guess, in the office right across the hall from me and, and was a great, great man, really a great man, and one of the better communicators I've ever been around at any level of anything. Mm. Uh, what is the worst advice you see or hear being given in your world? The players? Um, it could be a coach telling players or players telling a coach or anything. Anything you see or hear being given that you think is the worst uh, thing to say. Uh, you know, I just, I think, I can't give you like an ex- like a thing, like one thing, but I will say this. The people that don't get it. The people that say to a kid, you know, it's all about you. It's all about, you know, you got to get yours. Uh, you know, all that bullshit that I hear about, you know, you know, you, you got to get your, you got to have the ball. You got to get, you know, guys tell kids that we're, we live in a selfish society now anyway, but I'm going to tell you something. If you, if you, if you look at the Patriots and, and I, and I, and I, like I said, I'm not a Patriots fan, but I'm a fan of, what they do you look at the Patriots and you can start with the guy behind the behind the center and go to every position on that football field they are unselfish and they win because they're unselfish they don't win because they're talented they don't win because Tom Brady wants to throw for more yards than anybody in the you know every year or Edelman needs to catch 110 balls or it's all about me I mean that whole it's all about me mentality really pisses me off, frankly. And, and, uh, I think it damages far more kids 
than it does. I watch a guy like, and, and, and again, this sounds like I'm attacking the guy, and maybe I am, but <laughs> I watch o, o, Odell Beckham Jr., and I think to myself, how many kids is he ruining mm. just as players? Because they want to you know, catch the ball with one hand as opposed to do it the right way. Yeah. You know, and, and that whole spectacle that the Giants have allowed to happen, it's, it's their fault. It's their fault they're not winning, and it's their fault that he's a problem because they allowed it to be that. Mm. Well, that's that's actually pretty sound advice on the worst advice, if that's uh, if that makes any sense to the listeners. Uh, next question, and the last ones: What is your favorite film of all time? I'm sorry. What's your favorite film of all time? Movie? My, my favorite. Does it have to be a football movie? Is it? No, no. It can be any film. Okay, there was a movie that has always been kind of a rite of passage for the boys in our family, and it's. Um, it's a movie. It's a movie called Boondock Saints, and it's about these brothers in Boston who become vigilantes, and it's phenomenal. It's, it's a great movie. It's actually kind of funny, and it's and it's you know it's a shoot 'em up. So it's it's a movie that uh, every boy in our our family, all three of the boys, and four of the boys in our family, when they turn sixteen, we, they got a chance to watch Boondock Saints. It's oh, a kind of a family deal. Coming of age thing, which is. Uh, get 16 yeah. get uh, Boondock Saints straight on the TV um, yep. so second second last one if you could change one rule in the NFL what would it be? Fooey um, I, I, I think the thing that I would change more than anything else is uh, I'd go back I'd repeal some of the rule rule that rules now with the kickoff and i i'm i'm really worried for the kickoff coming out being out of football i think it's too big a play i think it's a you know i i think it's a victim of circumstance because the nfl wants to appear to be doing things to make the game safer well you know what i think where they need to start is the low hits on receivers coming across the middle and things like that as opposed to the kickoff because most of them are touchbacks anyway, but you know, again, I, I I understand they have to be seen as doing something about player safety, but you know, I, I just don't like them messing around with the kicking game. Mm, okay, and last but not least, this is always always the toughest for guests to answer. Uh, describe yourself in three words. <laughs> Somebody asked me that one time about you know when you're all done, what it, what, what would you like people to say? And yeah. I'd say. Just that I cared. Okay. Just that we can give you we can give you four <laughs> for the sake of it. But um no that makes yeah, a lot of yeah. sense. Well, no, because I think about if you think about that in every aspect of your life, as a husband, as a father, as a football coach, as a friend, you know, that you cared, that's that means something to me. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Well, that, that more or less concludes the podcast, Jeff. So it goes without saying, thanks a million for coming on. And listen, I hope you enjoy the lead up to the Super Bowl. I'm sure you've got a busy few days slash week ahead of you. And I'll certainly be watching on Sky. And I look forward to seeing you and the gang. Um, but listen, I want to thank you very much for spending time coming in and chatting some NFL. Richie, it's my pleasure, brother. And anytime you want to do it, you know, I'm going to head for Hawaii as soon as I'm done with the Super Bowl. But my phone is waterproof. So if I'm out surfing, just call me. <laughs> <laughs> I will do. Anyway, Jeff, thanks a million for coming on. All right. Aloha. Take care.